so serious. That's right. Why so serious? We're just talking about murder. And since it is literally only a few days away from Halloween, I figured I would bring you Spooktastic People, an episode about the boogeyman of Halloween. That's right. I'm talking about the man who killed Halloween, Ronald Clark O'Brien. Now, O'Brien was born on October 19th of 1944. And he has been nicknamed the Candyman and the man who killed Halloween. He was convicted of killing his eight-year-old son, Timothy, on Halloween in 1974 with a potassium cyanide-laced pixie stick that was ostensibly collected during a trick-or-treat outing. Hey, bitch, you want a pixie stick? O'Brien poisoned his son in order to claim the life insurance money to ease his own financial troubles as he was $10,000 or excuse me, he was $100,000 in debt. O'Brien also distributed poisoned candy to his daughter and three other children in an attempt to cover up his crime. However, neither his daughter nor the other children ate the poisoned candy. He was convicted of capital murder in June of 1975 and sentenced to death. He was executed by lethal injection in March 1984. O'Brien lived with his wife, Daneen, in Deer Park, Texas, with their son, Timothy, and daughter, Elizabeth, who was born in 1969. O'Brien worked as an optician at Texas State Optical in Sharpstown, Houston. He was a deacon at the Second Baptist Church, where he sang in the choir and ran a local bus program. Thou shalt not kill. On October 31st, 1974, O'Brien took his two children trick-or-treating in a Pasadena, Texas neighborhood. O'Brien's neighbor and his two children accompanied them. After visiting a home where the occupant failed to answer the door, the children grew impatient and ran ahead to the next home while O'Brien stayed behind. He eventually caught up with the group and produced five 21-inch pixie sticks, which he would later claim he was given by the occupant of the house that had not answered the door. At the end of the evening, O'Brien gave each of his neighbors two children a pixie stick and one each to Timothy and Elizabeth. Upon returning home, O'Brien gave the fifth pixie stick to a 10-year-old boy whom he recognized from church. Hey, little girl, do you want some candy? Before bed, Timothy asked to eat some of the candy he collected, and according to Ronald, he chose the pixie stick. Timothy had trouble getting the powdered candy out of the straw, so O'Brien helped him loosen the powder. After tasting the candy, Timothy complained that it tasted bitter. O'Brien then gave his son Kool-Aid to wash away the taste. Timothy immediately began to complain that his stomach hurt and ran to the bathroom where he began vomiting and convulsing. O'Brien later claimed he held Timothy while he was vomiting and the child went limp in his arms. Timothy O'Brien died en route to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the candy. I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. He's dead. Timothy's death from poisoned Halloween candy raised fear in the community. Numerous parents in Deer Park and the surrounding area turned in candy their children got from trick-or-treating to the police, fearing it was laced with poison. 
the police did not initially suspect O'Brien of any wrongdoing until Timothy's autopsy revealed that the pixie stick he had consumed was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide. Four or five pixie sticks O'Brien claimed to have received were recovered by authorities from the other children, none of whom had consumed the candy. The parents of the fifth child became hysterical when they could not locate the candy after being notified by the police. The parents rushed upstairs to find their son asleep holding the unconsumed candy. Missed it by that much. The boy had been unable to open the staples that sealed the wrapper shut. All five of the pixie sticks had been opened with the top two inches refilled with cyanide powder and resealed with a staple. According to a pathologist who tested the pixie sticks, the candy consumed by Timothy contained enough cyanide to kill two adults, while the other four candies contain enough to kill three or four adults. What? Initially, O'Brien told police that he could not remember which house he had gotten the pixie sticks from. Police became suspicious because O'Brien and his neighbor had only taken their children to homes on two streets because it had been raining. Their suspicions increased after learning that none of the homes they visited had given out pixie sticks. After walking the neighborhood with police three times, O'Brien led them to the home where no one had answered the door. O'Brien claimed that he went back there before catching up with the group. He said the owner of the home did not turn the lights on, but did crack the door open and hand him five pixie sticks. He claimed to have only seen the man's arm, which he described as hairy. The home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. Melvin was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport and did not get home from work until 11 p.m. on Halloween evening. Police ruled Melvin out as a suspect when over 200 people confirmed that he had been at work. And as, as their investigation progressed, people learned that Ronald O'Brien was over $100,000 in debt and had a history of being unable to hold a job. In the last 10 years preceding the crime, O'Brien had held 21 jobs. At the time of his arrest, he was suspected of theft at his job at Texas Optical and was close to being fired. You're fired. Get out of here. His car was about to be repossessed. He had defaulted on several bank loans and the family home had been foreclosed on. People discovered that O'Brien had taken out life insurance policies on his children in the months preceding Timothy's death. In January 1974, he had taken out $10,000 of life insurance policies on both of his children. One month before Timothy's death, O'Brien took out an additional $20,000 policy on both of his children, despite the objections of his life insurance agency. In the days preceding Timothy's death, O'Brien took out yet another $20,000 policy on each child. The various policies totaled approximately $60,000. O'Brien's wife maintained that she did not know about the insurance policies on her children's lives. Only pay for what you need. 
Police also learned that on the morning after Timothy's death, O'Brien had called his insurance company to inquire about collecting the policies he had taken out on his son. After learning that O'Brien had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide shortly before Halloween 1974, now he did leave without purchasing anything after learning the smallest amount available was five pounds. The police began to suspect that O'Brien had laced the candies with poison in an effort to kill his children to collect on their life insurance policies. They believed he gave the other children poison candy in an effort to cover up his crime. Police repeatedly questioned O'Brien, but he maintained his innocence. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Although police never discovered when or where O'Brien bought the poison, he was arrested for Timothy's murder on November 5th, 1974. He was indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. O'Brien entered a plea of not guilty to all five counts. His trial began in Houston on May 5th, 1975. During the trial, a chemist who was acquainted with O'Brien testified that in summer 1973, O'Brien contacted him asking about cyanide and how much would be fatal. A chemical supply salesman also testified that O'Brien had asked him how to purchase cyanide. Friends and co-workers testified that in the months before Timothy's death, O'Brien showed an unusual interest in cyanide and spoke about how much it would take to kill a person. You talk too much, you worry me to death. O'Brien's sister-in-law and brother-in-law testified that on the day of Timothy's funeral, he spoke of using the money from Timothy's insurance policy to take a long vacation or buy other items. As well, his wife rejected the claim that Timothy chose the pixie stick, standing, stating that O'Brien had, in fact, forced him to choose the stick. O'Brien continued to maintain his innocence. His defense mainly drew upon the decades-old urban legend concerning a mad poisoner who hands out Halloween candy laced with poison or needles or candy apples with razor blades inserted. These stories have persisted despite the fact there are no documented incidences of strangers poisoning Halloween candy. This is what we call an urban legend. The case and subsequent trial garnered national attention and the, pro the press dubbed O'Brien the Candyman. You look up a Candyman. He's the monster. It's part of this neighborhood. On June 3rd, 1975, a jury took just 46 minutes to find O'Brien guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. They took 71 minutes to sentence him to death by electrocution. Shortly after he was convicted, his wife filed for divorce. She later remarried and her new husband adopted her daughter, Elizabeth. At the time, men sentenced to death under Texas law were confined to the Ellis I unit near Huntsville, Texas. According to Reverend Carol Pickett, a former chaplain who worked for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, O'Brien was shunned and despite 
and despised by his fellow death row inmates for killing his child and was absolutely friendless. The inmates reportedly petitioned to hold an organized demonstration on O'Brien's execution date to express their hatred of him. You are the motherfucking Antichrist! O'Brien's first execution date was set for August 8th, 1980. His attorney, his attorney successfully petitioned for a stay of execution. A second date was scheduled for May 25th, 1982. That date was also postponed. Judge Michael McSpadden scheduled a third execution date for October 31st, 1982, the eighth anniversary of the crime, and he offered to personally drive O'Brien to the death chamber. It was to have been the first time Texas executed an inmate by lethal injection. The Supreme Court delayed the date yet again to give O'Brien a chance to pursue an appeal to seek a new trial. No, I'm just getting warmed up. A fourth date was scheduled for March 31st, 1984. O'Brien's lawyer sought a fourth stay on the basis that lethal injection was a cruel and unusual punishment. On March 28th, a federal judge rejected the request. On March 31st, 1984, shortly after midnight, O'Brien was executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville unit. His last meal consisted of T-bone steak, medium to well done, French fries and ketchup, whole kernel corn, sweet peas, lettuce and tomato salad with egg and French dressing, iced tea, sweetener, saltines, Boston cream pie, and rolls. O'Brien's last words were, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you one and all. God bless you all, and may God bless God's best blessings be always yours. It was a mercy killing. During the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison and cheered while some yelled, Trick or treat! Others showered anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. Ronald O'Brien is buried in Forest Park East Cemetery in Webster, Texas. His son, Timothy, is buried in Forest Park Lawndale Cemetery in Houston. <laughs>